Hey there, Scouting Stuff listeners. Just a note on this week's episode, it's an interview, and unfortunately, through a number of just absurd and crazy technical issues that plagued my every attempt to connect with the person I was interviewing, we ended up using Skype, and unfortunately, Skype kept messing with my audio levels. So, in the initial recording that I got, his audio levels came through just fine, and mine, I sounded like a little mouse trying to make himself heard. I was able to do some editing behind the scenes to bring both of our audio levels up to, you know, approximately the same amount. And I think overall, the sound quality is not bad for the amount of changes I had to subject the audio stream to. But if there's some audio oddness in this episode, I apologize in advance. It's just an artifact of the editing process, which I put as much time into as I had. But, you know, I'm away on a work trip this week. I'm in Bismarck, North Dakota. So I apologize if there is any wonkiness to the audio that said, it's a really good interview. So please do give it a listen. And hopefully you'll take something away from it that you can use in your own troop. Well, welcome back to another episode of Scouting Stuff You Should Know. You have got myself, Scouter Ken, and once again, Colin is absent from this one, but we are rejoined by Mark Little. Hi, Mark. Hi. And uh, so the last time we spoke, you were still attached to Chinook Council because we talked about Impiza, a big adventure camp out to the west and south of Calgary. But I gather you've moved roles. I I certainly have uh, changed roles, so... uh... Indeed, I've moved across uh, from being in the volunteer capacity for uh, 12 years in a variety of different roles. Uh, and indeed, after I'd um, spoken to you in my Chinook capacity as Council Commissioner, I moved on to uh, be on the board of uh, Governors for Scouts, um, only for a short while. Uh, but then I made the uh, jump into being a professional scouter and I work directly for Scouts Canada as the Executive Director for Scouting Experience. Wow. So is well you know what actually hang on this this might be a really good springboard for for the discussion um what is what does the executive director for scouting experience do what when we when you when you have scouting experience in your title what is that kind of pointing toward uh gee that's great i mean so there was um uh, very much a deliberate intention uh both from the national key three but the broader uh, board of governors at the time that recognized that um, we we were really needing to enhance our actual experience for not only for the youth um, but also for the scouters that are making this such a successful program every single day and every single week in all of the you know 15 1500 communities that we serve so it was recognized that we had a variety of different if you like uh, departments and silos they weren't necessarily working in uh, concert with each other as effectively as they could. Um, and if they were to indeed be working together under a single kind of uh, leadership vision, would be able to enhance that experience for youth on a day-to-day basis, uh, maximizing Canadian path um, and adventure, but equally to support the scouters and their ability to be able to uh, support the Canadian path implementation. 
So what does it mean on a day-to-day basis? So simply speaking, I have responsibility for the um, youth and volunteers um, and their experience uh, in the different councils, uh, groups and sections on a day-to-day basis. I also have the parallel responsibility for looking after the functions. Um, So that would be everything from program, volunteer services, recognition, uh, through to marketing, communications, popcorn, revenue development. Um, and so those are the components that actually enable and support scouters and youth to be able to experience uh, scouting in the first place. Wow. So just a few things is what you're saying. It certainly keeps me very busy, but uh, hey, busy is good. Yeah, no, definitely. Okay. So as part of this role then... Um, One of the things that you've been working on is trying to foster um, or trying to encourage, maybe might be a better way to put it, more groups to adopt the youth leadership model. Now, this has been part of the program for a few years. Um, Obviously, it was sort of formalized when we did the transition to Canadian Path. Um, And gosh, like that was several years ago now. But I'm assuming that there's still some unevenness in terms of the adoption of this model by groups across the country. And so you've really been working to to encourage this um, and to, uh, to, to foster the adoption of the youth leadership model by groups across Canada. Yeah. Okay. So... I guess the obvious first question then is, uh, what even is, like when we talk about youth leadership, what do we mean by that? Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and actually, what I'll, what I'll uh, start off with is, you know, we, be- we seem to believe, um, and it's a common misconception, that youth leadership um, has really uh, started with the Canadian path. But as many of our longtime scouters know, youth leadership has always been a key component of what makes scouting different from other similar adventure type programs and outdoor programs and youth lead and youth engagement programs. Um, it's something that's hardwired in over our 110 year history. The patrol system is probably the best example of how youth leadership would be visible if indeed you were seeing it in practice. Uh, typically, most people associate the patrol system with uh, cub and pack and then into troop. But the reality sure. is the patrol system um, it should be evident in every section at every age group. It just has a different uh, vehicle uh, in how it actually turns up. But it's, it's always been there. So we describe youth leadership and our, and our vision, I would say, for youth-led is really youth that have an ability to take responsibility for selecting, designing, and leading activities and the adventures uh, and challenges that are offered to them. Um, we believe, uh, and to a certain extent know, that this is clearly a differentiator for scouts relative to other programs. One of the other key components that is important when it comes to youth leadership, and we'll come back onto this in the role that scouters play, is it's about progressively taking that responsibility on. And it, like anything in life, uh, you can't you know, run immediately, you've got to walk first. So you've actually got to build the skill, practice the skill and have support uh, coaching along the way. 
You've also got to have a willingness to make mistakes, so both from the person supporting you, but also from the individual receiving it. And again, that's one of the other key things about gassing, learning from mistakes, or as we use the language, plan, do, review, really enables that resiliency in youth and goes a long way to some of those developmental attributes around resilience that we're trying to grow. For sure. So if you, rec- if you recognize, therefore, it is about um, responsibility for selecting, designing, and leading activities and adventures, it can, therefore, be applied in different ways uh, and in different uh, groups uh, or sections. The common, another common misconception is that youth-led is a free-for-all, uh, i.e. the scouts are stand back. And I've heard this more often than not from venture companies, um, but it absolutely isn't that. I mean, even in a professional setting, when we bring in uh, people with uh, degrees and training, even then we don't stand back and allow uh, professional adults with qualifications to be able to just do whatever they need to do. Um, and so we have to use the same type of mindset, which is what's our role as scouters in supporting them to be successful. Um, it is not about standing back. It's about, uh, again, diff- different types of leadership at different times or something that, you know, which we call um, situational leadership. And it's certainly uh, the practice that we try to um, teach, mentor and coach as we go through scouting. Yeah. You know, it's funny because I was just... Um Actually, the episode that I'm publishing either today or tomorrow, I was talking with another scouter, um, Jose Francis. Uh, she is one of the people here. I don't know if you've maybe met her before, um, but if you remember the family training event, the FTE camp that takes place yeah. in August, um, she's one of the organizers for that. And yeah. uh, in the episode that's going live uh, today or tomorrow, we're recording this on a Wednesday, we did at one point get to talking about a lot of what you just said there, um, which is that, you know, the leader isn't, you know, me as the scouter, or, you know, some people still use the title leader, although that's obviously fallen out of use because it's not really descriptive of what a scouter's role truly is. You're not, like you say, you're not going hands off with the youth, but you are trying to foster an environment where different youths can bring their different strengths to bear and essentially you know out of that kind of form a team that is as strong as possible because everybody's sort of playing to their strengths and then you're sort of facilitating that and building program around and through that yeah yeah i mean i think there's a couple of uh, things that i will build off on um it is all about situational leadership. I mean, uh, and that's the same in any uh, professional environment or any sporting environment uh, or any coaching environment. And it's particularly prevalent within scouting. Uh, we have two types of situational leadership that I could describe. The first is recognizing that given our very large range of youth, age and abilities, married to uh, the understanding that um, we are supporting youth through development from childhood to pre-adolescent to adolescent onto adulthood, recognizing that associated with that, their development includes their ability to make decisions, think rationally, understand risk and the role that we have to play. We obviously can't have the same leadership um, style with beavers and cubs that we can with scouts and venturers. For sure. Um, and even within venturers, and, you know, I work with um, a large company now, um, and even within venturers, 
you have to meet them where they're at. And I mean, I use that expression a lot, um, and I would encourage people to, to, to consider applying that, which is how do you meet the youth where they're at? So if they're a mature company, um, been doing this for a long time, maybe have come up through a scout troop that has truly embraced the Canadian path, then indeed they're going to be in a position where they're going to be able to do youth leadership and use expedition teams, go on solo climbs, um, use progressive adventure through the outdoor activity skills very, very quickly. But if they're new to it, or even if they're coming in, let's say, from high school and haven't had a previous scouting experience, and maybe not used to this level of leadership, then indeed you're going to have to play a more hands-on active role, or as we would call it, a directional leadership role, as long as you've got the intent to be able to indeed move to a position where you're a coach or a facilitator and empowering youth to make decisions. Under all of that, and that's probably the thing that I've seen most as I've um, done a lot of talking with uh, scouters and, and, and worked with many groups across the country, it's got to start in a place of believing, and I, and I mean genuinely believing, that youth can take leadership positions right. uh, and youth can be successful. And so, you know, in my, I do a couple of roadshows and some of the things that I, I highlight is I, I share pictures of Joan of Arc and Mark Zuckerberg, Greta Thunberg, Malala Yousafzai, and I say to everybody, so what's the common thing? And, you know, after reflection, of course, I mean, they are, they immediately realized that they were all youth when actually they changed the world. And the reality is they were actually all of venture age. And so, that, so, that, you know, there is proven real time cases and those are just a few of the more well known people. But the reality is when given the opportunity, youth can not only lead, youth can actually change the world and they have enormous um, ability to do so. But all of these people and were not successful on their own. I mean, Joan of Arc's probably a perfect example. I mean, as a 16-year-old girl um, leading a revolt in France to overthrow or to initiate the, the, the overthrowing of the English, unfortunately, it didn't work out to be successful for France. Um, but she needed an army, and she had an army of adults. And so literally, the, the metaphor being that no people uh, achieve results um, on their own. And you do need a lot of support, a lot of counsel experience, and you need an, a small army to support you in being successful. Uh, and I, I see the same parallels, um, although we wouldn't want to take the metaphor too far, um, back into scouting. So whether it's a youth that wants to run uh, an exercise on a, on a weekly night, Maybe they have a passion in a particular sport. I've got a particular youth that likes to do fencing and said to me that they wanted to run a fencing 101 for um, the, the ventures. My role was to help him think about the logistics and to help him think about the safety. He did the rest. So everything from indeed initiating the activity, designing how he was going to do the teaching and actually led the activity himself. Similarly, it could be um, an area where youth want to indeed put together a camp. They're going to need some structure around are they thinking about risks, i.e. what will get in their way and potentially can hurt them or indeed potentially cause challenges to planning or challenges to budget uh, or challenges to logistics and how are they thinking and how are they thinking about resolving and overcoming those. And they certainly don't have the experience that many of us do. Um, but equally, you want to help them with, um, are they making uh, good choices? It doesn't need to be the right choice, but are they making good choices even on things like food or, 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 or activity level? And then not being afraid to stand back when they make a mistake. 
because they're only going to learn that way. I mean, a, another youth commissioner said to me once, he said, scouters reward themselves for activities that run smoothly, go to a schedule, go and, and actually deliver what was on the paper. But if we're truly learning and if we're truly trying to encourage youth to learn from their mistakes, then de facto adventures should be messy. If indeed they are running smoothly, it is quite possible that there's no learning taking place. For As sure. my ski instructor told me 10 years ago, if you're not falling down, you're probably not trying hard enough. Uh, and our job is indeed to enable kids to fall down, but to enable kids to fall down safely and then to pick themselves up and learn and go try it again. And so that for me is some of the, the, the leadership components that this falls into. Awesome. Actually, while you were mentioning, you know, youth falling into these different leadership roles, um, I couldn't help but think of the example of our neighbors to the south and the very strong culture of youth leadership that has been built up around the Eagle Scout rank. Um, because, you know, if you think about the requirements to attain Eagle Scout, one of them is, and we have this now, like we have this now too, right? Like this is part of the top section awards that we, um, that we define for our, uh, for our youth. But, you know, obviously the Eagle Scout has a very significantly long history. I think probably, probably, I hope, think longer than, um, you know, sort of our own um, top section awards. But that capstone project of the Eagle Scout is very much about, you know, the youth um, identifying the need for a task that benefits the community or, you know, a, a larger scope, designing the, designing a solution, um, and then, you know, they have to, they have to demonstrate leadership in securing funding and securing materials and putting together a team if they need, you know, multiple people to help them complete this project um, and managing that team and the different roles within the team that they put together. And then, of course, ultimately completing the project. So, um, and I know that, you know, like we've had elements of this in the Scouts Canada program for a while, but it just seems to me that, you know, Scouts BSA through, you know, especially like Eagle Scout has sort of had this concretized and enculturated into their program for quite a bit longer than we have with ours. So it's cool now that we're trying to do much the same, sort of really enculturate that idea that youth can and should take on these leadership roles. But there certainly are parallels. Um, I, I, I mean, I can't profess to be an expert of uh, the BSA uh, program, um, but certainly, you know, looking at the uh, non-formal educational objectives for what it, I mean, they are broadly similar and applied in a slightly different manner, no matter which uh, national scouting organization you're looking at. Um, I, I'm more familiar with uh, UK, Ireland, Australia, the Netherlands. And I would certainly share with you that um, the majority of organizations are moving more towards a deliberate youth leadership um, program. I would say the one thing that differentiates uh, the Canadian path, um, and it, it probably more accurately mirrors Ireland more than anywhere else, but has now been picked up by a few other different national scouting organizations, is its flexibility and agility. So 
we have moved away and are intentionally moving away from the deliberate uh, and prescriptive badging requirements and the association of badges. I mean, that is a fairly um, legacy thinking structure. Um, that, that is, of course, what we're well known for in Scouts. Um, yes. Our uh, observation, of course, is it's not so popular with our older youth. And indeed, it's not so much a driver nowadays. Really. What we are trying to do is give, give the ability for um, youth to set their own personal goals. Um, and in doing so, to think through not only what they're interested in, but what would be a personal challenge and how would they personally go about seeing that stretch? And then what is the role of Scouter or indeed other youth to help them be successful in gaining that stretch? And rather than just thinking about top section board, because, you know, the reality is not all youth are indeed interested in, in, in going after the top section award. I mean, it is intended to be something that is meant to be a bigger stretch. Um, but again, back, back to that flexibility component, whether it is indeed um, working within your patrol, um, whether you're a white tail, uh, whether you're indeed uh, a, a cub, uh, whether you're a, a patrol leader, a system patrol leader, or whether you're an expedition leader, or whether you're on a solo climb, etc., you have the ability in a scalable manner to be working on something which may be a day, a week, a month, a year, multi-year, whatever it might be. Um, and many opportunities to test that and practice that. I, I particularly like the company program, so for venturers, because I, I, I find that that has um, the strongest parallels to what I'm experienced uh, in my professional life, having done 25 years um, uh, as a professional in oil and gas around the world. Um, I see stronger parallels with teamwork, problem solving, agility, flexibility, facilitation, in the way that the solo climbs work with the expedition teams uh, and have that kind of fluid construct. So you're not bound to a single patrol. You're not bound to having everybody do everything together. But in, in fact, you are deliberately trying to give the opportunity to try different things, work with different people, um, visit different program areas and stretch yourself and grow. So that, that, for me, I think is something quite unique around our Canadian PATH program. It certainly wasn't uh, exactly the same model in our previous program. Uh, and e even in, in Cubs, which I think, uh, therefore the PAC program, where many people indeed, you know, miss uh, the Tawny Star and the Black Star and the Green Star and all that good stuff. You know, that ability to visit multiple different program areas um, w within a year um, and rather than having that prescriptive framework and construct further enables youth leadership. But the reality is makes scouters a bit more uncomfortable because it's a little bit harder. The reality is to be able to plan for that on a, on a day to day basis. But as soon as you've got that system working within the actual section, the youth are more than capable of actually kind of getting that planning going themselves and making that work. For sure. I mean, I find that um, one of the, Actually, I have two things. You know what? Let's pause for a sec because we're using a lot of Canadian PATH-specific terminology and we do have a bit of an international audience. So when you talk about a solo climb, just very briefly, what is that? Uh, an individual's um, one-year plan where they set themselves a stretch target um, and we use the SMART um, description, so specific, measurable, achievable, realistic, and time-bound. Um, and it's often related to uh, one or two program areas, but can be uh, more. Okay. 
So, and, and I mean, the solo climb is what it's called for the Venturer Scouts, because of course, within the Canadian path, the model of like the, 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 uh, the symbolic framework or the symbolic model that's, you know, serves as sort of a, uh, yeah, a framework for the program is yeah. an ascent of a mountain. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's the symbolism that's involved there. Um, obviously, at the colony level, beavers, cub pack, scout troop, rover crew, um, there are going to be analogous versions of the solo climb, but they are going to be a little bit different and tailored to the um, particular age level of those sections. Yeah, I mean, it's personal achievement and goal setting is what it comes down to. And what we're really trying to do is get youth to identify a goal uh, and then with the commensurate help, support them in thinking about how do you break that goal down into bite-sized or tangible pieces? And how would you know that you've reached your goal if you are successful and then be able to celebrate that? I mean, that's ultimately what we're teaching. Yeah. And the other thought that I had is, you know, you make the comment about how it is um, sometimes more difficult for, you know, scouters when things are much more youth-led than sort of, you know, sort of pre-planned on the back end by the scouters. And I mean, certainly there's, um, there's more of an element of think on your feet. Because of course, if you, the scouter, are sitting down to plan program for the year, you're going to play to your own strengths. You know, you know your comfort areas, you know what has worked. I mean, maybe you've kept notes, hopefully you've kept notes on what has and hasn't worked in years past. But there's that risk to then sort of just get into this cyclical kind of thinking. It's just like, oh, okay, well, every couple of years we'll do this thing. And every year we'll do this thing. And, you know, you're just sort of playing to your own strengths. Whereas, I mean, I know the biggest successes I've enjoyed as a scouter have come from times when I've sat down with the youth, even beavers. Uh, I've talked before on the podcast about the board games that, you know, my beavers designed uh, when two of my daughters were still in beavers. And yeah, I, I point to that repeatedly because it's such a great example. You know, we sat down and we had a conversation with the beavers fairly early on in the year. It's like, hey, where, where do you want to take this? You know, these are your adventures. What adventures do you want to have? And this one kid throws up his hand and is like, I want to design a board game. And oh my gosh, that worked so insanely well. It was, you know, a, it, it was... In a way, it was kind of like the highlight of the year, um, partly because, you know, I used a lot of my budget to actually get the board games professionally printed. But it was just cool to see not only how well the beavers, you know, well, A, I mean, the challenge to me as the scouter is, okay, I have no idea how to design a board game. I got to find somebody who does. Um, unfortunately, I did. And then just watching the kids do it, you know, they got a very brief lesson in what a game is. And then we just turned them loose with markers and big sheets of paper. And of course, the scouters were there, you know, and the, the people that I had brought in from Bioware were there and sort of, you know, just guiding them through, asking them questions like, okay, like, well, what do you think, you know? Oh, okay. Well, when you play the game and this happens, how do you think, like, what do you think we can change in the rules to solve it? Things like that, right? And, you know, yeah. within two meetings, we had two different colonies design fully functional games, which the Bioware guys were more than a little amused by, because, of course, they'll spend sometimes weeks on end trying to design a single system within a game. And to see two fully functional board games created in 
two, two and a half hours, that blew them away. So yeah, no, I think so. that have really, I think, you know, when we've embraced that youth leadership model and we've kind of just let the kids basically take an idea and run with it, that's when we've had some of our biggest successes. Yeah, I, I mean, uh, you, you know, you mentioned um, this example from Colony, so from Beavers. Uh, I think, you know, the other thing that people trip up on often with youth leadership is, you know, drawing the same parallels, let's say, to troop or venturers as you would beavers or cubs. I mean, the reality is you can't. So it's a, a best intentions and apply logic to youth leadership. So the reality is, again, meeting the beaver youth where they're at, of course, scouter support is going to predominate over indeed youth leadership at a colony level but you will be using every opportunity to indeed uh, begin to grow and develop youth leadership opportunities with the colony. For sure. To your example, indeed, um, it's, it's building a game. The other, then as you progress through, then of course, Cubs begins to increase. And of course, it will be, it will depend upon the makeup of your pack. But certainly if you've got a, a good size pack, and so really we want to be aiming for kind of 18s to 24s, like those sorts of numbers. But if you've got those sorts of numbers and you're able to have four um, different patrols within that, um, so LED, then indeed you now are able to have a differentiation between um, ages. And of course, the older youth that have experienced uh, Cubs for two years already are going to be in a better position to support the younger youth. So. It's much easier, therefore, to practice further youth leadership opportunities. Scouts is the turning point, um, and we've always said this. This is where you really should be, by the back end of troop, absolutely utilizing the troop uh, patrol um, system um, and the troop leadership team, the TLT, to really be doing at that stage the planning. Are we visiting the program areas? Uh, how are we actually designing the camp? And at this stage, you really shouldn't be having any annual plan set by uh, scouters at all, such that in a, in a successful case in venturers, it really should be getting to a point at which the company leadership team is uh, looking at meetings and looking at the events and the adventures and the challenges, et cetera, et cetera. Now, the reality is um, we have to look at some, you know, some of those hard kind of constraints are in place. You require a, um, uh, a troop or a company to be of the right size such that um, they can actually run the patrol system to, to, to start with. So, for example, if you're adventurers and you've only got three kids in the adventurer company, it's going to be extremely hard to implement the Canadian path. If you're of a size of, let's say, 10 to 12 youth, then indeed you absolutely have the opportunity of putting in, in place, let's say, two um, variable expedition teams. Uh, at troop level, you really want to be aiming between 18 and 24 uh, youth. I mean, Baden Power used to say the optimal number for troop was 32 kids. But, you know, the thinking goes back to that patrol system. You know, once you've got these, it becomes so much easier to establish a youth leadership team and for them to actually take the role of leadership with scouter support. We're fortunate that with beavers and cubs, most of our um, uh, groups, uh, uh, sections are indeed of an 18 to 24 size, but it really drops off going into uh, troop and ventures. And so often one of our first actions we have to take as scouters is to 
merge, connect um, different troops and different companies together to enable the youth leadership actually to have an environment that it can be successful from the get-go. Right. And I'm glad you started talking about numbers because that was the next thing I was going to ask you and, you know, whether there was uh, some importance to the size of the groups. And obviously there is. Um, I don't know. I've, I've seen the slideshow that is part of your roadshow. I wonder if I might have your permission to include a link to that in the show notes because you have some really good, in, in terms of like, you know, the relationship between group size and youth retention, you have some really excellent numbers here. Thanks, Okay, cool. And again, this is another thing that I can, you know, say that I've observed firsthand in um, my own group's context. And again, at the Beaver and Cub level, primarily, my daughter, my eldest, has now moved into Scouts, and they are very much on the uh, the Canadian path model. You know, she's a first-year Scout, but I think she's like the APL, and she's on the TLT, and so, I mean, like, they've they've definitely embraced this, and nothing happens in that troop that the Scouts don't discuss, vote on, and plan. Um, which is awesome. Um, they're having a great time of it. They, they like cooking a lot. They do a lot of cooking-related things, which plays to my daughter's strengths immensely. But what I've noticed with the packs and with the colonies is, I mean, I started out with a decent-sized beaver colony, and we started running, you know, we, we kind of changed. I mean, when I, when I came in the first year, I was more of a helping out kind of scouter than the guy in charge. The second year, I was very much the guy in charge. There was only a couple of other volunteers left. And, you know, we changed a little bit of the program model. We, we changed uh, a bit of how we approached beavers, um, decided to put a little bit more challenge into the program. And we had, like I say, we had a decent size of beavers, but the colonies grew. Um, partly because, you know, the kids are like, hey, I did this cool thing last night. And then their friends are like, what? I want to do the cool thing too. So we had, you know, some organic growth that way. Um, but I think my first year as a beaver leader, we probably had, you know, kind of just right on the low end of that range, you know, maybe 16 to 18 yeah. youth. And now I have 40, between 47 and 49 registered beavers. Um, and likewise, yeah. you know, the cub pack was at sort of the smaller end of that range at the time. And, you know, now again, I have around 48 registered cubs, like, you know, to go from 32 to 36 across both sections to now nearly a hundred across both sections in only a few years. That's incredible growth. Yeah. Well, I mean, and we, and we see this, uh, there are many successful cases out there, which are, are amazing. Um, and people often ask, you know, what's the secret sauce? I, I, I honestly, um, don't think it is, um, as challenging as people make out. The reality is kids and parents are fickle. Uh, if the program is good quality, if the, pro if the kids are enjoying what they do, if they are having a variety and if they're doing adventures, um, they, not, they come, they stay, and they invite their friends. If they're doing the same thing every year um, or if they're inside a building uh, or if they're not doing too many adventures or if they're having uh, other people set what they're doing, they get bored. It's particularly evident in uh, troop and venture age youth, which are a pre-adolescent and adolescent that are beginning to become more independent in their choices um, it's much easier to to maintain a colony and pack because often it's the uh, parents making the choices but then they're often making choices between different options but the, the reality is the packs um uh what well, i should say the groups are the largest with the largest sections uh, have the most varied program they have the most uh, involved youth 
Um, they have good adventures. Um, they are visiting the different program areas, uh, and it's fun. Uh, and, and, you know, people don't necessarily always like me sharing this, but I mean, I just use the data rather than a point of view. I mean, 80% in, in, in our uh, venture uh, companies are less than six youth. It is very, very hard to run the Canadian Path program and section leadership and anything else with less than six youth in your venture company. What is more alarming to me, and again, it's just data um, and nothing else, we have 300 troops, less than five youth. It, it is extremely hard. I would even hesitate to say impossible to run the Canadian Path and to basically deliver on our commitment to parents and youth with troops less than five youth. It's, it's just, it, it's very, very, very hard. Um, and, you know, I, I have a, a picture which I use on the roadshow, which is, you know, would you rather be in a section of two or three youth or would you rather be in a section of uh, nine to, to 20 youth um, as, a, as a company? And the reality is, of course, uh, you'd rather be in a bigger company because you have more options for everything. And the other thing that, that um, is often a misconception is this perception that as we grow, it's harder for the scouters to do. It's actually much easier. Because the moment that you've got indeed a system in place and you're not indeed turning, uh, you know, having a high loss rate, i.e. a low retention, um, the reality is the older youth often are in a good position to be coaching younger youth. You're getting more uh, choices and excitement from the youth. It's actually much, much easier to run. So it's advantageous uh, all round. You know, there's almost an analog there to, I mean, this may sound strange, but like, you know, I come from, a larger family. Um, <laughs> my wife comes from a larger family and yeah. we have four kids ourselves. Yeah. And, you know, granted, these are not really the average, but that is, you know, when you encounter somebody who is from a larger family, that is, that's actually something that's fairly common in their story, which is that, you know, yeah. as, <laughs> as the number of kids accumulates, um, the older kids do start stepping in to help out with the younger kids. And I mean, I certainly see that with yeah. you know, the four that I have, right? My, my, um, my second daughter is just, she's amazing with our son, you know, like, and he like seeks her out um, a lot of the time, which is, you know, that's awesome, right? Because that then takes some of the, the load off of, us, me and my wife, as parents, um, you know, it's like, because yeah. it's hard to prepare dinner when you have a toddler tugging yeah. at your leg, asking to play, um, and then crying because, of course, you can't. Um, so it's really great when, you know, one of his older sisters can jump in and he'll merrily go and play with her for the half hour that I need to finish preparing food. Um, so, yeah. Anyways. Well, I mean, I, I coach group commissioners on looking at it for a few things when they look at group health and section health. Um, I mean, you know, number one, I mean, if there is any silver bullet to implementing Canadian Path and really knowing that you're delivering the, the youth experience the way it's designed, then you have a patrol system. So I say to them, you know, if you're going to read a section in five minutes, I and mean, if you go into a section and you don't see kids in patrols, um, then you know that you haven't got youth leadership, which is an active part of the program, and you can almost for certain um, uh, interpret that there won't be Canadian Party implemented in that program. 
The, the other more numerical thing to look out for is if, if you've got a retention rate lower than 65%, you probably don't have a high quality program. I mean, it's just a good rule of thumb. Yep. Um, we see in um, more than half of our groups that 65% can easily be achieved or greater. In some, it's much, much higher than that. Uh, and so those are just kind of two quick and dirty things to be uh, looking out for that you're, you will be able to know quantitatively and qualitatively whether indeed you've got the right uh, ingredients in place. For sure. So we've, you've uh, in particular talked a lot about adventure and the necessity yeah. of having adventures, you know, like that's, that really seems, you know, sort of a key point in all of this. So is there really, um, is there a good strategy for, you know, how to foster adventures and then how to carry them out? Okay. Um, so, I mean, I think the thing, so you are right about adventure. I mean, we do genuinely believe adventure is, again, a key to having uh, excitement within the youth to make it indeed a differentiator. I mean, part of our mission and motto, if you like to put it that way, is it starts with scouts. Um, it is the opportunity to um, try something for the first time, whether that indeed be camping, um, whether that be indeed your first cooking on a campfire, or whether it be the first time you climb a 5,000 foot mountain uh, in winter with snowshoes, uh, or do vertical climbing uh, up a waterfall, it doesn't matter. Okay, but it is about the first. And, you know, I, I judge success with my company, not on um, whether indeed we're doing certain things, but if indeed a youth posts a picture on their personal Instagram, then you know you're winning, particularly if they then wear their sweater, which is, you know, your group sweater, your section sweater, to high school, you know you're winning. Because fundamentally, you're breaking down the barriers of nerdiness. You're breaking, you're, they are proud of what they're doing. They want to share with their friends. Uh, and so fundamentally, those for me are kind of some key indicators of, of, of knowing whether you're doing things which truly are adventurous um, and they can be proud of and they actually go and share that on social media. Now, back to your question about adventure. And I think many folk... Um, struggle a little bit with adventure and in particular the other kind of key thing we hear on the Canadian path is people struggle with the balancing of planning versus doing um, and often scouters say that you know planning is boring and they have to do an enormous amount so maybe I can just quickly share an example um, indeed from a troop to how do you make it um, fun and how do you make the adventure a key part of it Please uh, this is coming from uh, a, a troop uh, here in uh, Ontario, so, so not, not one, of, um, one of mine, but um, a troop example from a colleague. And so one of the things that uh, he always talks about is kids need to have an identification of that adventure I, the, with the end in mind. His guidance is very much around get them to be brainstorming around what that adventure might be. What is it? Describe it. Uh, one of the very best things with communication is the ability for the youth to tell a story. What would they be doing if they were actually leading that adventure? How would they be able to communicate that back to their friends and their family? And then to really put a pin in it is to, you know, kind of name the adventure. Because once it's got a name, it really takes a life of its own and, and the, re the rest of the magic happens. So we use an example of a winter camp 
um, and how we, we use things like the outdoor adventure skills, we, we use uh, trail cards, we use Google, we use everything to kind of help the brainstorming process. Um, and we move from that kind of wide viewpoint of considering everything and, 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 and uh, uh, in, in the process at the time and really ration that down kind of through a funnel to end up on a bit more of a, okay, what specifically do we have the ability to do? So let's use the example of um, a winter adventure where they wanted to design their own uh, sleds. And then when they named it, they called it Dancing the Winter Polka. Uh, and what they wanted to do was they wanted to develop winter skills, they wanted to, to build pulse or sleds, and then they wanted to uh, build and sleep in Quincy's, which is pretty awesome. Yeah. So then when we step back, and this actually took uh, place over multiple meetings, and this is another kind of um, misconception, you know, you don't need to have dedicated planning meetings. Planning can actually take place anywhere, um, and they can be bite-sized, um, and, you know, it's all about the energy of the youth and, and how are you actually um, putting that in with other things that you want to consider at the same time. A plan at the end of the day is, you know, really and truly is where do you want to do it? When do you want to do it? What skills do you need to do it? How are you going to do it? Who are you going to do it with? And who is going to agree that you can do it and you can do it safely? I mean, there's not um, a lot of um, uh, uh, experience that needs to go into that. It just needs to be a bit of structured and, and the scouters need to kind of help facilitate those questions. Um, some of the bigger adventures, like this example, I mean, if you haven't got youth that have really done very cold weather camping before, then of course they're going to need to have uh, gear checks. They're going to have to have preparation for um, uh, and the skills of, of winter camping. Maybe they've never cooked on white gas stoves before. Um, maybe they don't understand fully the concept of layering. And so, you know, you progressively might build those up as, before you go on your adventure. Uh, when you go on the adventure itself, I mean, of course, you want to experience that. And then that kind of ties into that, that final piece of that plan, do and review. Uh, and again, that doesn't need to be a formal exercise in itself. That can take place after a meeting. It can be a dedicated PQA, uh, so quality assessment. Um, I like to do them often in, in pieces after activities or, or after a camp. Uh, and for me, my favorite way of doing it is just to ask four simple questions. Uh, what did we plan to do? What did we do? What did we learn? And what will we do differently next time? Uh, and I find that's a very easy way um, with any age group to be able to get them to indeed do some reflection. And whether you do it on post-it notes or whether you do it um, uh, on coloring paper for, for younger kids, if they, if they can't write, but maybe they can do a scribble. Um, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, I think this is where you have to be uh, adaptive as a scouter to kind of meet the kids where they're at, but can still go through that kind of process to make them feel part of, um, have they indeed had that reflection time and that would, you know, think about it for the next time around. For sure. Certainly doesn't need to be boring. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's not a staff meeting. Hopefully not a staff meeting. No. Well, so I, I'll share another thing. I mean, um, which, I mean, I just, I just keep share the idea. I mean, I often hear the venture company meetings and sometimes even patrol uh, meetings in, in, in troop need to indeed be around boardrooms and tables. Um, I don't think I've ever had a meeting around a table um, or a boardroom setting with company. Um, I, I just don't think that's kind of the mental model. I mean, my, my perspective is a, a gym and the outdoors are far better places to engage youth. Um, and then indeed just think about how you're going to set up the environment to get them to do some thinking. I mean, 
With beavers, of course, we teach that we have a gathering activity, then maybe we have a high energy activity if we want to do some concentration and we build that energy flow and drop it down in the back end of the session. It's actually not too dissimilar if we go to company, particularly with a lot of them. I'm, I'm, I'm fortunate. I have 26 uh, ventures in, in our company. Nice. Um, and you do exactly the same thing. We don't call it gathering, but I can tell you it really is a gathering exercise. Um, and we really do do high energy things to get them going. I mean, particularly if we want them to actually concentrate uh, and do something which requires uh, some you know, mental uh, calculations, etc. But then we don't make the whole meeting about planning. We, you know, we would certainly break it up and, and the youth would be actively uh, driving this from, from the outset. Awesome. I mean, I know when I was in Vents, um, our meetings did often take place just in a side room at the community league, kind of, you know, in that boardroom, around a table context. But that worked for us. Like that worked for yeah. uh, the mixture of youth that we had. And, you know, honestly, it was anything but dry. I wish that any of the meetings I was in these days were as fun as those venture company meetings were um, because there was, no. you know, humor about it and just a lot of wit. And it was really quite enjoyable. Uh, not something I've really found within an actual business context too often. Um, although my current team is pretty good. But I know our, you know, I'm with the same group now as a scouter and the current crop of venturers, I don't think we have 26, but we have a decent number. Um, although I'm not sure where their enrollment's at exactly, but, uh, they meet at a coffee shop usually. Yeah. Whatever works, right? You know, as long as, you know, you talk about flexibility and that's kind of the key component, right? Um, you know, if the scouters, the advisors are just like, no, 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 we have to meet here and blah, 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 Robert's Rules of Order and do it this way. That's not really going to fly. Um, if the scout... No, I, ne I never do Robert's Rules, ever. <laughs> I, think, I think our events still do Robert's Rules, um, but again, like, it's ultimately still left to their choice. So I think, you know, we did it when I was event. I think the current company does it as well, um, but... It, it ebbs and flows from year to year. And that's kind of the, the point that I'm driving towards is that if uh, as long as, you know, the, the scouters, the advisors are able to be flexible with the youth and, you know, if they want to meet in a, in a room, fine. If they want to meet at a park around a campfire, fine. If they want to meet at a coffee shop, fine. But um, <laughs> just let it happen, right? Right. Well... I know I'm going to turn into a pumpkin soon, <laughs> so I just want to make sure that we've covered um, just about everything else. I guess, you know, we've talked about all of the, or we've talked about, you know, sort of the desired outcomes, and we've talked about um, numbers and sort of, you know, good approaches to take and the need for groups to be of particular size. But maybe to tie that all together, the question, I suppose, that anybody listening from any group who's not fully on board with the youth-led model yet. Um, and, you know, the question that that person's probably going to have is, okay, well, how do I get there? You know, where, how can I okay. take my group from where it's at to this new way of doing things or this way of doing things so that I can see that growth, that retention, and see my youth having these crazy adventures? So, um... Indeed, this was a common question that we uh, received and got a lot of feedback on. I mean, it really kind of points down to people wanted to go on the Canadian Path journey, 
Uh, they gave us feedback uh, regarding they found it quite complex with all the different moving pieces within the Canadian path. And when we really dug into it, we found that scouters would like to have a bit of an example of what does good look like? How will I know that we are actually implementing the Canadian path? You know, what will I be seeing? What will we be doing? So one of the things we did was to put together the Canadian path navigator, which is applicable to all sections. Um, it takes a little bit of application, but it is for all sections. We took the four elements uh, and added uh, an additional continuous improvement. And then we set it uh, four levels, if you like, of maturity uh, from basic programming all the way to the desired end state, which is fully youth-led programming. And in each of those different stages, we articulated a statement or an observable detail that would, you would be able to identify with to say, okay, which level of maturity am I at for this particular component? And the best way of explaining it is to use an example. Um, we've been using the uh, youth-led patrol system uh, throughout this conversation, so why don't we start there? So in the desired end state, of course, is that all adventures and all planning of adventures and meetings are happening in youth-led small teams or patrols. And of course, the, the, the converse or the inverse to that is that youth teams are not utilized on a regular basis. So this is a very tangible and observable uh, characteristics of, characteristic of youth-led. If you were to turn up at a meeting, um, obviously, with a section of a small size, it is very unlikely that you're going to have the ability to do patrols. Um, I mean, if you've got six kids, you're going to have one patrol uh, <laughs> maximum, so it's impossible to do patrol system. Uh, if indeed even uh, you're running with a, a pack or a colony or a company of 16 to 24 kids, it is still possible to observe that everybody is meeting together, that all activities are occurring together. Um, you've typically got, particularly for the younger sections, a scouter up front that is doing a lot of uh, communications or potentially even lecturing. Um, all of those are characteristics that we would just describe as basic level programming. So we're not utilizing um, uh, the, the patrol system on a regular basis. And in fact, truly, we're not actually using the Canadian Park House per design. Now, the one thing that, that I really want to emphasize is we deliberately put this navigator together as a self-assessment for anybody, um, but we also did it deliberately to identify where would we start. I mean, it's like any big challenge. Um, you can't try to fix everything at the same time. I'm a, a very, very big believer in um, the patrol system being the number one thing to work on. I really believe if you start working on that, the other things will, fo will follow. I think it, you know, if there's any silver bullet, that's it. Um, the other thing I would share is um, you know, it's safe to be in level one. And what I mean by safe is that, you know, this is not about um, being good or bad. This is about actually just having an honest appraisal of where you're at. Until you truly assess where you're at, you have no ability to set a plan to improve. It's exactly what we teach the youth. Um, and, and as with all good leadership, we have to role model ourselves. So in, in, in the company that I support, for example, we were very much uh, between level one and level two, but certainly nothing beyond the level two scouter-led programming. Um, so if I, if I give you an example, down in the adventure um, section, we would have three camps um, at the beginning of the year um, which, honestly speaking, had occurred every year for a, a good time. Um, they were all at Camp Opamecon. They were all more or less within shelters. 
Um, one particular activity, we used um, materials and costumes um, that were prepared by scouters probably over a decade ago. So the reality is that activities um, were repeated often. Um, they were set year after year um, and typically set without youth involvement. And indeed, the youth were not offered, uh, you know, kind of that selection of adventures. And certainly, they weren't youth-led adventures, which were fresh and new experiences supported by scouts. So we were at level one to level two. If you were to look uh, at the journey where that company is today, you would see that they visit all program areas. They do everything um, from backcountry to hiking to climbing to paddling to aquatics, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And so. And they also do it utilizing a company leadership team that organizes um, some brainstorming on a regular basis to ask people, you know, what they would like to do, what adventure they'd like to achieve. Um, and so very much now they are moving, to, uh, they're definitely at level three, but they're moving more and more to really youth-led programming with fresh adventures consistently experienced every single year. They certainly don't only go to Open Econ. I mean, they're going to five or six different locations um, last year, I think they did 12 camps uh, alone in just one year. So certainly you're really getting that adventurous experience in. But the key thing was the scouters sat down um, initially and then engaged the youth. Uh, at the time, there wasn't a company leadership team. Um, and they said, right, where are we going to focus? And, and the, indeed, the biggest area that we focused to start with was uh, first the patrol system. And then indeed a bit of programming to, because it was venturous, to really think about what are the adventures and the activities that they would like to do. Um, the other example I bring into this, which talks about situational leadership is the kids will only be able to um, give you what they know. So you've got to meet them where they're at. So when we first ask them about their adventures, having not had a lot of adventures before, they gave us Pokemon Go, they gave us visiting the cinema, um, they gave us a laser tag, et cetera, et cetera. So good, fun social activities, but of course not really um, what we're trying to achieve with adventure and challenge, you know, the motto adventurers. And so, you know, we took a bit of directional leadership from the scouts at that time to say, guys, we're going to do that, but we're also going to organize a backcountry camp. I'm going to go away for a couple of days. Um, to the shock and horror of the youth that had never done anything like this before. But now, you know, a year later, um, you can't hold them back. I mean, now they're already wanting to do more backcountry. They want to do three, four-day adventures in Algonquin on, on canoeing. They want to do uh, vertical skills camps. Uh, in two weeks' time, they're going to be climbing a 5,000-foot mountain in New York State in the Adirondacks. So they have to be helped towards what the opportunity is, and it soon turns from being directive leadership or scouter-led to youth led uh, almost overnight. Well, 18 months journey to kind of see them move from kind of level one to level four um, with support along that way. That's just awesome. So, well, that's good. I mean, it's good to know that there is a, like that's a very, what struck me about that is that it's, it's actually a fairly clear path. Like there's not like some magic secret sauce that could clearly only apply to this one venture or company it's just really no. it's like you know it's what we've already talked about meeting them where they're at and then offering guidance yeah well it, it also was a good example of um where we had smaller venture companies that got together 
to form a larger venture company. Now they're not they're not merged per se. They've, they've kept their numbers, um, but you know we have the first NAPI and the 25th NAPI and the 23rd and first Manatic all meeting together as one venture company. So even that was a big vehicle to making that happen. I mean, you know, they were in groups of one, three, five, and eleven. Um, and now, indeed, they're at a company of, well, they first went to 14, and then in one year, they went up to 26, um, including bringing in kids from, from high school direct when they started seeing the adventures that the guys were doing. So all of the components that we've described actually played into making this work. But at the end of the day, it really only took a good set of scouts to stand back how do we make this happen? And, you know, coming in with that kind of intent in terms of nothing is sacred here. It's not about us. It's about the youth. Let's meet them where they're at. Um, let's bring some experience to it. Um, but, you know, when they're on their way, let's stand back and get out of their way. Um, and sometimes, you know, that's hard. But, but when you see them grow and, and, you know, you can be really proud of the leadership that, that these kids are actually uh, developing and you think to yourself, Maybe indeed some of these guys are going to be the next Mark Zuckerberg of the world um, or the next Malala of the world. And, and that's really what's exciting about it. You're seeing the mission being delivered and coming alive right at your fingertips. Absolutely. And that is, that's always an awesome thing to see when you see a youth find their stride, blossom that little bit and just run with it. It's, it's the best thing every time. Okay. Well, thank you for this. Um, I guess it is our custom to close out podcast episodes with a shout out. So um, is there anyone in particular that you might want to, you know, publicly offer a note of thanks or a little bit of credit for? Um, sure. So, uh, okay, well, let me use a company uh, example and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shout out uh, a few people. So the, the first person I'm going to shout out is Sean Frail. Um, he was a scouter that came from another group um, and indeed offered his time and experience. And we wouldn't have been able to go on this uh, journey without him. Um, he, he's been absolutely amazing to help us on our journey. I'll also shout out the company leadership team. So Hannah, Jacob, Blue and Ben, who have absolutely embraced leadership um, and are really indeed taking it very seriously and working to provide the best experience for their uh, peer group and their buddies um, and they make it uh, so much easier for me that my workload has gone down enormously they're awesome nice and of course as always a shout out to scouting radio and a big thank you to them for rebroadcasting our episodes to their worldwide scouting audience if you're listening to us on scouting radio right now please do consider subscribing to the podcast and also consider getting in touch with us you can do so at scoutingstuffpodcast at gmail.com send us an email facebook.com slash scoutingstuffpodcast instagram.com slash scoutingstuffpodcast twitter.com slash ssysk podcast you can leave us a voice message either on facebook or on our website scoutingstuffpodcast.com or you can hit us up on our discord server check the show notes for the link well um thank you thank you for your time thank you for thanks buddy encouraging groups to try and grow in this way um, and thank you out there for listening and until next time be prepared prepared